not a devastating thing for a business to not have the revenue to pay its bills. What is devastating is when you lose the relationships of trust, when you break your word, when you lose your reputation, because saving the business became more important than being a good human being. You are listening to One More Question, a podcast by the people of Nice Work. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we just ask you one more question? And that's the antithesis of what this podcast is. It's about sharing the best conversations we've had with significant creators, experts, and communicators. The people that we've encountered as we go about our work of making people care by creating purposeful brands. This season is focused around unpacking the topic of purpose, exploring what purpose means in its many forms, and we share how people are using purpose to build great companies and successful brands. I'm your host, Ross Drex. Today I'm talking to Connor Neal, a man of many dimensions. He's a keynote speaker on leadership. He teaches leadership communications at the Yise Business School and is the president of Vistage in Spain. He generously shares his thoughts on his YouTube channel, which is very active. He's an Irishman who speaks Spanish, and he's also one of the most genuine people that I've ever met. Today we talk about choosing to live purposely, how to live by your values, and how this plays out in good and great teams. Enjoy. Thank you very much um, for joining us on the podcast, Connor. I appreciate the time. Um, Let be with Ross. I know, I know this is a strange time. I'm sitting at home, locked up in my home office. You are sitting in Barcelona, locked up in your home office because there's these times of uncertainty, um, which is an interesting place to, to be creating in. Yeah, so now is the middle of March 2020. I'm in Barcelona. We've had five days where you are not allowed out of your house except to buy food, to go to the pharmacy and get drugs, to go and look after a relative. And, uh, you know, five days is still a bit of fun. I wonder how I'll feel in a week's time. But it's five days that I haven't been out and looked up at the stars or the sky. Wow. Yeah, I mean, we. this is only my second day. And here in South Africa, it's not as locked down yet. So we still able to go to the shops and and drive around if we choose to do so so it's all self isolation now and not not forced isolation yeah um well I- but i guess it's interesting uh, we had a conversation with the team uh, my team at nice work and we were like do we continue making the podcast and somebody said well it feels like this is the the perfect time to keep doing these things because our natural tendency is to slip into panic and to not actually uh, create anything and just go into a place of lacking and that's not somewhere that we want to be so so here we are and thank you very much for taking part in the whole thing with us well i think that this time you can see it as a prison or you can see it as a gift I think Gandhi always looked at being sent to prison as a wonderful opportunity to catch up on his reading, on his writing. Most of his books came from time that he was in in prison. And he didn't look at the jail cell as something imposed on him, but looked at it as a gift to be able to have time to do the things that were important, to reflect. And what I'm pushing all the people around me to do is you know, take this time to enjoy being with your family playing the old card games and board games that perhaps you knew when you were a child, 
Uh, I've been teaching my four-year-old daughter games that I knew as a child. We did tic-tac-toe, knots and crosses. Uh, I've been playing chess, although it's a rather rudimentary chess. Uh, a lot of board games. And wow. also, you know, for us as individuals, it's a time where you can start to think about who you want to be over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And I hope the world takes this pause and stops being caught up in the urgent running from meeting to meeting, thing to thing. We now have time where we can stop and think about what are some of the things that I really want to begin in my life. And 20 years from now, I'll look back and consider this time of quarantine as a time where I planted some seeds that I never had the time to plant. But 20 years from now, I'll be so grateful that I was given the gift of this time to begin a book, to begin a blog, to begin a YouTube channel, to begin a podcast, to get my voice out there, to begin projects, to go back and create art. Maybe there's drawing that was a skill of yours as a kid, but you've, you've let it slide. Now is the time to get back those hobbies that were important to you years ago, but had been pushed out to the sidelines as life got busy. I love that. I mean, just this morning, um, Sebastian's favorite thing is to come into my um, home office and uh, steal everything that he thinks is important of mine. So like my mouse and my keyboard and my pen, and then he uh, swaps it out for toys. So, so this office is not the way I normally have it, but it's actually a lot more pleasant than it normally is. Yep, I think so. I've few visits of Princess Elsa during video conference calls. So, uh, you know, I think us all having a generosity of spirit to others that the others are not going to just be silent in their home. There's going to be other people around and kids that want this attention. Yes. Um, I, I saw this tweet. I'm just trying to dig it out now. So it's by a man named Sunil Daliwal. It says, if you're on a Zoom call, I don't care if your kids are in the frame. Having a meltdown in the background or sitting on your lap playing with your keyboard, I get it. The fact that you're continuing to work is a minor miracle. Just do your thing. I thought that was really lovely. Wonderful spirit and attitude. So, so interestingly, before we hit the record button, um, I was talking to you that, you know, this, this season of our podcast and the sort of discovery we on with it was helping people or helping companies to, to find their purpose. And, and you didn't necessarily agree with the language that I, I used there. Can you, can you speak a little bit more about that? Well, yeah, I think in, in, you're phrasing finding purpose, and, and we hear a lot about searching for purpose, finding purpose. And what I raised is I think that's the wrong verb. Purpose is not something out there in the world that you search for and you find. Uh, for me, there's a book that uh, is the single most important book I've ever read. Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. I first came across this book back in 2008 when I was going through some very tough times post Lehman Brothers and bankruptcy and then my own business starting to, to really struggle in the financial crisis of 2008. And Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, 
has two parts. The first half of the book is his own personal memoir, his personal story of the four years from him being captured by the Nazis, placed into the uh, concentration camp system where he survived for almost four years. And uh, what he said is of the people that went into those concentration camps at the same time as, as he one in 32 were still alive four years later. And he said, and it wasn't random. There was no accident. The ones that survived all had something in common. And the second half of the book is what he describes as logotherapy, which is his own process for how each of us as human beings find our own purpose. And there's there's three types of purpose that we can find as described in his book that are sufficient that you can get through anything. Uh, and I really recommend reading that book. Maybe the quarantine is that wonderful moment where you have time to read. Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl, it, it's quite a, a tough read to, to imagine what man was able to do to man you know in the lifetime of our grandparents and i know ross you and me together in washington have gone and visited the holocaust museum and seen some of the testimonies of people who lived through that time uh man's search for meaning this tools for how we find our own purpose so Mm. The, the word find, Viktor Frankl says, we don't find purpose. Ultimately, we decide purpose. And this is man's most important action, to make a decision that I will decide to give myself some principles, some values that I decide to live my life defined by these. Uh, I decide my purpose. And then I make my life uh, as a piece of art that serves the purpose that I have decided. Uh, it's, it's not important to have a purpose written down on a book and hung on a wall. What's important is whether other people looking at your life, looking at how you spend your time, looking at how you interact with them and how you interact with others, how you use your resources, what would they say your values are? What would they say your purpose is? And for me, I, I make a big distinction between Uh, aspirational values or aspirational purpose and lived values. Very often when you ask someone what are their values, what they describe are not their lived values. They're their aspirational values. If somebody is always on time, they're never late, they probably do not say that one of their values is respect for the time of others. Someone who's late one of every five times, but has to make a lot of effort to be on time the four times, and they've made effort, but they're late, they'll probably say one of their values is being on time. It's an aspirational value. They put a lot of effort into it, Mm. but it's not a lived value. And my interest in the last decade has very very much been about this, this thing of how do we make our values not aspirational values, but lived values. And lived values means I'm willing to pay a price for the values that I choose to have. So if you've written I think that's such a 
a powerful thought at the moment. You know, there's a lot of companies that are are facing an economic crisis that we've never, like we've never seen before. And they're trying to decide how to act and how to treat their customers and how to treat their debtors and how to treat their creditors and how to treat their staff. Um, and I think these are such, you know, if you if you frame it like that, like what do you, you know, when you, if you play yourself forward to the end of this, how do you think people will look back and how would they describe your company's values or your values as the leader of the company? How would they, how would they describe you based on, on the actions and the decisions that you made during a time like this. And I think, you know, that, that can be very hard because sometimes you know, the, the question of values, values uh, are never black and white decisions. Uh, any leadership decision, uh, any decision that comes up to you, Ross, as the leader of your company is a decision that plays off two values against each other. Because if the decision was easy, someone else would have taken it. If the decision was easy, you would have already taken it. It wouldn't be a difficult thing. When a decision is a leadership decision, it's a choice between two bad options. And to me, you know, Greek and Roman myth contain all the stories we need to learn about leadership. And Odysseus, the story, Homer's Odysseus, the trials of Odysseus has every lesson a leader needs to face. One of the trials of Odysseus is when he is sailing, he's captain of a boat and he's sailing and the gods tell him that he, he's about to sail through a strait between an island and the mainland. And on the island lives a giant. And the giant, if he sails the boat near to the island, the giant will take three or four of his crew and he will eat them. Uh, if he sails the other side of the strait, there's a whirlpool. And the whirlpool, he may be able to sail through it, but he might lose the whole boat and all of the crew if he takes that option. And the gods tell Odysseus, you must decide, will you sail near the island, uh, Scylla, or will you sa sail through the whirlpool, Charvalis? And the rule is you cannot tell anybody what your decision is and why. You have to live with it. And Odysseus sails near the island and three of the crew members are taken by the giant and they lose their lives. But the boat makes it through this strait. And 20 years later, Odysseus arrives back to his home island of Ithaca. And the first place he goes is not to his own home. The first place he goes is to visit the parents of the three crew members that passed away because of the, the giant. And what you realize in the book is that he has carried the weight of the responsibility of those three people's lives this whole journey. He's never been able to put it down. And that's the burden of leadership. Leadership's decisions are, are not easy. Uh, deciding right now between does your company, does your ship being your company, sail through surviving this uh, to have you know, liquidity, customers, and, and something to build on in three months, six months, one year's time, and maybe at the cost of a number of people, a number of suppliers right now. Uh, these are not painless decisions. 
uh, there will be a and you will let some people down, but that is the role of leadership. Uh, another story that that I find powerful is Nietzsche talks about the stages of the soul and that we move from immaturity to camel, camel to lion, lion to child. And in in each of our lives, you're in one of these stages. And immaturity is complaining about your problems, is an incessant complaint about the problems that you have in front of you. The camel stage is you take the burden you're given and you stop complaining. And you can imagine a camel walking across the desert, not much water, with a heavy weight on its back, but the camel doesn't complain. And the first stage of maturity as a human being and as a leader is to accept the burdens that you have. You do have tough decisions to make right now. You can complain about them or you can accept that that is part of your burden as a leader. Uh, The next stage is lion, is you put something of yourself into these decisions. You don't just accept your burden, but you take it with courage and you put yourself into these problems. Uh, and you attack your problems with your courage and your values, and you put yourself in there. And the final stage is child. And child is a complete focus on the moment, on the journey, and letting go of worrying about the outcomes. And when I play with my four-year-old daughter, you know, one of the things that she is fascinated by is fire engines. We have a fleet of 12 fire engines of ranging in different sizes from major supersized Paw Patrol fire engines down to small fire engines. And when we play, uh, you know, we'll be sitting in the, in the living room and we'll decide the fire is in the toy house and all the fire engines will start moving over to get ready for the fire And sometimes she'll say, oh, no, the fire is now over in another part of the room. And what I find myself doing is, no, 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 we've got everything ready for the fire being over here. No, no, no. But all she does is switch and move and continue to flow and do the best right thing given the conditions that are there. And a child is is able to be fully present in the moment uh, and, and shift with reality as it changes. And I guess you know what what is really tough right now is letting go of the things that we thought we were going to be doing today. Letting go of the future that we thought we were going to have tomorrow and in a week and in a month. Uh, and letting go of that and accepting there's a different reality. And a child while playing takes a millisecond to let go of what was the fact from before and shift to the new set of facts. Uh, an adult is going, no, 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 we said, here's the fire. No, 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 that fire engine is doing this. A child just just moves and shifts and adapts with the flow. But I, you know, I think we're, we're drifting away from how this becomes relevant to those that are leading businesses. And yes, I think, I mean, it, it's interesting. I think, you know, for us um, at NiceWork, you know, kind of helping helping businesses to, to articulate kind of what's important to them is a, a great way of kind of binding a group of people together and giving them a context to, to work in. Um, how have you seen purpose 
play out in in kind of com- companies or in in kind of groups of of people because you know a lot of this when you read a lot about purpose it's it's quite often about the individual and the individual finding their purpose how do you think this plays out in in more of a group setting well i, I think it's good that each individual uh takes the decision to live their life as a life of purpose and to hold themselves to a set of standards and uh you know that's a good decision independent of of anything else as a leader whether you're leading in family leading in your company leading in your community uh leadership is a choice and i i think you know now now i'm forgetting what i shared before we began recording and what i've already shared here in this conversation but that you know, leadership is never an automatic, natural reaction to the world. Leadership is always an intentional decision to not just react to the world, but take in the stimulus that comes to me and decide what's the behavior that I want to give back. Uh, and as human beings, it's quite difficult to, to break ourselves out of this reactive cycle. But leadership requires that we have the emotional self-control that when a student in my class says, this is stupid and I don't get it, uh, all of my human part of me wants to react and tell them that they're a moron and get out and how dare they say that. (laughs) But if I respond that way, I'm not living up to the set of values I have for myself. And the way Connor's best self would respond to that is, you know, one, accept that this person is reacting to how they're feeling right now. And it probably has nothing to do with me right now. Uh, But they're feeling lost. They're feeling fear. They're feeling frustrated. If I react to what they say, we enter into a fight. If I can appreciate that what they're saying is a clumsy attempt at saying, I'm lost, I'm struggling. Uh, I don't know how to go on with this. Uh, I don't know what you're looking for. Uh, And accept that it was a clumsy attempt. Uh, And I respond as if they made a good attempt. And they asked a question of, you know, Connor, could we pause and just reflect on how what you're sharing can make sense in my life? Mm. Then, Then I can react in a more positive way. And I, I guess, you know, to me, one of the lessons I've learned of attempting to live a life of purpose is it never, ever gets easier. Uh, in Global Leadership Academy, you and me, Ross, with Warren Rustan, we learned the habit of 10, 10, 10. Every morning before you let the world start to hit you, you take 30 minutes, 10 minutes to read something inspirational, not the news, not what's happening right now, but something that raises you up and reminds you what's important. 10 minutes to write, write down your plans for the day, your intent, something that struck you, your thoughts, and then 10 minutes just to sit and be with yourself. And that 10, 10, 10 for me in the morning of becoming intentional about how I want to use my day, who I want to be in the day. If I don't do that, the chances that I react to the day really grow. And 
you know, there's no amount of 10, 10, 10s in a morning that puts you in a place where it's automatic, that you just wake up in the morning and you are ready to be the best version of yourself. I, I often remember the story, the American Indian story, where a grandfather shares with his grandson that every one of us has two wolves on our shoulders. There's the evil wolf and the good wolf. And the little boy, his grandson, asks which of the wolves is going to win, the bad wolf or the good wolf. And the grandfather says, the one that you feed. And no matter how many days you only feed the good wolf, the evil wolf is always hungry and always ready to step in at a moment of distraction. Uh, so intent is always required in living a leadership life and a life of purpose. Um, leadership, is you know, this how, how to do purpose as a team. I think here what I was uh, talking about is, is the purpose written, written down on a wall or on a page is not as important as the process that you've gone through with the people to agree that this is the type of people we want to be, the type of way we want to interact with each other as human beings. These are the type of behaviors we don't want to see from each other. And, you know, whether it's a, a forum beginning its first meeting, a Vistage Group beginning its first meeting, a leadership team beginning its first meeting, it's, it's not obvious what uh, interacting well as a team is. And even if you've been on the team for years, if there's a new member joining, it's important you take some time to re-agree as a group, what are the sets of behaviors that we want to see from each other during our time together? What are the sets of behaviors that we do not want to see from each other in our time together? What are the tools that we give each other to hold each of us responsible to live the good behaviors and reduce the occurrence of the bad behaviors? Uh, and I mean, Pat Lencioni says, you know, the, the, a bad team, nobody is held accountable. A good team, the leader holds each person accountable. On a great team, everybody is holding each other and the leader accountable. The role of the leader is to give every individual the permission, the responsibility, and the tools to know how to hold themselves and others responsible for the way that they show up and the way they carry on. I love that. It's, I mean, it, I suppose just listening to what you're saying now, I think this is also a great kind of advice or guidance for companies trying to figure out how to to behave in a time like this. That it's not going to be easy to be intentional. Um, that there's going to be a lot of noise and a lot of things to react to, and it's about choosing how, as an organisation, reacts what's guiding those reactions how do you you know what are you putting out into the world and what are your actions showing people about how you want to behave um and and what does that mean about you as an organization and i think the ones that react intentionally and and think about what they're doing and think about the consequences and make those hard decisions in the right way are ultimately going to be the companies that will come out the other side of something like this in a much stronger position than those that haven't or, and they would have actually built or maybe, something yeah. or, or maybe or not. maybe not 
But that's the question. What's more important to make a lot of money or to be a good father, be a good leader, be a good mentor? Sometimes mm. the business going under, but the way you treat people in the process is going to put you in a much better place 10 years from today than screwing over the people, but keeping the business together. And a business going under, nobody dies. A business going under, but you going through that really difficult time, holding your head up high, treating people right, treating yourself right, keeping mentally strong, people see that. And people realize who you are. I went through bankruptcy and divorce 2008, 2009. The people I have in my life now, the people that really trust me now, were the people that saw how I carried myself through the really difficult times, saw what I decided was important. And there was a moment in 2009 where I realized that the business was dead and I wanted to just curl up on my bed and not go out. And for week after week, I called every one of our clients every day just to say, we have no new news, but I will keep calling you until we have some news. I showed up at the court cases to, to go through the journey. I dealt with the banks. I kept speaking to people even when I didn't have answers. And I think my life today is much better because a lot of Spanish business people, a lot of Spanish investors saw how Connor Neal carried his, himself as a human being through that bankruptcy and that really tough time. And I, I think here, some businesses are not going to be alive the other end of this, but the human beings will be. Uh, yes. And it's not a devastating thing for a business to not have the revenue to pay its bills. What is devastating is when you lose the relationships of trust, when you break your word, when you lose your reputation, because saving the business became more important than being a good human being. I think, you know, you and me, most of EO members, we're in our 30s or 40s. We have 50, 60, 70 years more to build businesses, to build community, to develop our families. Uh, you know, one or two bankruptcies in your 30s is the greatest education you can have. I don't wish it on you. I hope nobody lives. <laughs> uh, but I guarantee, you know, the, the way I approach life before 2008, my greatest fears were losing business, not having money to pay bills, having zero in my current account, uh, not having my family together. By mid-2009, I'd lived all of those and I was still alive. Um, my parents still spoke to me. My friends still wanted me to show up. Uh, my forum seemed to actually like me more. Uh, I seemed to be showing up as a human being who was lost and struggling, not as a proud, arrogant entrepreneur who had all the answers and everything was going well. And I, I think here in this time, success or failure of a business is not success or failure of a human being. Uh, a mountaineer is not a success when they stand on the summit and a failure when they come back down to camp. Uh, where you are today is not a definition of who you are as a human being. Uh, the revenues you have today or this month is not a reflection on how good you are as a leader of a business. It's, it's just today's revenue and today's situation. Uh, and there will be some 
leaders of companies that are facing situations that survival of the company is not a possibility. Uh, and in those contexts, you know, keeping your word to the people that, that have kept their word to you, holding yourself to your set of values that are important to you are so important. And I guarantee 10, 15, 20 years from now, where you've kept your word when it was really hard, where you've been there for people when you really didn't have any energy, those things will be remembered. And even if it's only remembered by yourself and one or two others, it still matters. Hmm. So you, you, I mean, you're sharing some very powerful stuff and I think you, you've shown that you're living this in your life. Um, how, how would you, if there's somebody who's, who's leading a group of people, how do you transfer some of this thinking and, and align people to this way of being and, and, you know, holding them to, to the, what you believe matters? How do you do that, you know, f- for a team and for a group of people? How do you pass that on, um, you know, as the, the leader of a company or even a, just a team of people? Hmm. I guess I was uh, asked a few months ago by someone to, you know, what are the 10 most important lessons, Connor, that you have learned in your life? Uh, And I started putting together an Evernote list of the, what are the 10 most important lessons that I've learned in life? And, you know, a few of them connect to words that my father used to use when I was young. And, one of the sentences my father used a lot when I was young and I hated was, it may be their fault, but it's your problem. And, you know, I would tell him how my team wasn't helping and whatever. He would say, it may be their fault, but it's your problem. I would tell how the school isn't letting us do this or the school's computers aren't this. It may be their fault, but it's your problem. And it was this constant pushback to me of, absolutely they've let themselves down that's them what are you going to do uh another of his sayings was there there are no they they won't let me my boss won't let me you always get to choose from where you are how to respond to situations you don't need anyone to let you be generous you don't need anyone to let you say a kind word um you know another I think, you know, I talked about Viktor Frankl and his book, Man's Search for Meaning. Another book that has been totally transformational in how I live my life is a book called The Anatomy of Peace by the Arbinger Institute. And The Anatomy of Peace uh, looks at how we treat others. And for probably the first 33 years of my life, I treated other people as uh, vehicles or obstacles to help me achieve my goals. That was how I treated other human beings. My first girlfriends, I was with them because I liked the way it made me feel. Not anything about how it was to them or how I could be part of their life. I liked the feeling of going into a party and people looking at the girl next to me and me thinking, ha ha, that was relationships where I was using other people as tools, as vehicles, or if they were getting in the way of something I wanted as obstacles. 
And the Arbinger Institute, what they look at is how you shift the way you relate to other human beings, not from them being tools for you to achieve your goals, but them being people with values and goals that are on a par and as important as your own set of values and your own set of goals. They are not vehicles and they're not obstacles. They are entire value systems that are worthy in and of themselves. And the Arbinger Institute in that book, it's a wonderful fable that just goes through the story of a family as they start to relate to each other in this much more human way. And, you know, in this time of great uncertainty and great fear, when I'm in fear, I close down and I'm thinking about me. And the Arbinger Institute gave me tools for how I stop just thinking about myself, stop reacting to others. I think one of the very important things that we need to do at times like this, when there is a lot of fear and uncertainty, are tools that we use at the beginning of an EO forum. In my EO forum, we start with one word open. And each person just uses a word to express how they are right now. And letting people express themselves. So, you know, when your company gets on a Zoom call, that the first five, six minutes is just each person a word. How are you doing right now? What does it feel like right now? And as a leader, you have no responsibility to fix it, change it. It's just an environment where we get to listen to each other and realize what our experience is. But we also hear how others are. Uh, you know, in Vistage, we start a group meeting with three numbers. One to 10, how are you personally? One to 10, how are you professionally? One to 10, how are you in your health? And listening to our own expression of our numbers, but then listening to the other people, where they are, what they're dealing with, what they're facing, reminds me that the problems I have are small in comparison. Uh, you know, I, I'm going through quarantine with my wife and with my four-year-old daughter. There are people going through quarantine who are alone at home. There are people going through quarantine who are alone with sick parents that are far away and they can't go and, and help them. Uh, and it just stops me. And, and I realize, you know, I, 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 I can act towards my problems like a camel. I can carry them without complaint. Hmm. That's so very powerful. I have my forum meeting in seven minutes. So, uh, Ross, how can we bring this conversation to a, a close and maybe have a further conversation? Well, I mean, I think there's there's a lot to a lot to be taken out of this. I mean, I love this idea that it's a decision, and I think every every person, every employee, every leader, every company has the power to make a decision and. I think we've given some great insight as to how to to measure that decision and what are you know and I think it's the process of understanding what's what's important to you as a person as a company what are those values and how do you use that to guide those decisions and guide how you act be it to survive be it to thrive be it to 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 quietly close and I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer but I it's definitely something that'll leave me thinking, and I think the listeners too. So, I suppose well, the, the easiest way to. So, there's a wonderful Jim Rohn saying that 
success and failure is not one poor decision or one good decision. Failure is two or three poor decisions repeated day after day after day. (laughs) Success is three good habits repeated day after day after day. And any day that you don't do one of these good habits, you just forget about it and do them again tomorrow. Uh, There's no one day or one action that can totally derail your life and head you down towards failure. What what I love is, is the metaphor that there's a saying, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. And we all know this. The problem is often just next to the apple is a bar of chocolate, a Mars bar. <laughs> and if today, instead of the apple, I eat the chocolate, nothing changes. Nobody notices. If every day this week, I eat the chocolate instead of the apple. Nobody notices. Nothing's different. If every day this week I eat the chocolate instead of the apple, nothing changes. But if for 10 years every day I take the chocolate instead of the apple, my health really is impacted. My waistline really is impacted. And the apple is like saying thank you, being generous, listening truly to how other people are. Uh, You know, if I arrive home to my family and I don't say thank you, my wife isn't going to say, hey, what's changed? You don't say thank you. I can go through all this week without saying thank you to the friends and the people that helped me. I can go through all this month. But 10 years from today, the relationships I have will be significantly impacted by that daily, daily, little poor decisions. And Purpose is not lived in one great monumental action. It's lived day by day in little tiny actions. That's such a powerful thought to end on. Thank you. Thank you very much, Connor. South Africa, stay safe, stay sane, wash your hands, give me, you know, no more handshakes, fist pumps. Elbow bumps. Elbow bumps. I look forward to a world where we can hug each other once again. Awesome. Thank you so much, Connor. We'll catch you in the next one. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. In the words of Carlos Corbian, sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who would benefit from this podcast, please send it on to them. This is our second season, and we'd be super grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button. And if you think we're worth it, give us a review. We welcome feedback, good or bad. We release an episode every two weeks. One more question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork, a purpose-led branding company in Johannesburg, South Africa. If you'd like to further this conversation, reach out at www.nicework.co.za. And if you're a little bit old school, let us know and we'll make you a mixtape.